if you don't know, uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Kanan is out this week. Uh, much needed rest for him. And um, so it's good to be here. So Pastor Kanan has been going through the book of Galatians. And I have been going through the book of First Peter. And so this is almost a year in, and I'm on chapter 3. And uh, so I'm going to make it, though. I'm going to keep going, Harrison, until I get there, okay? And, uh, but it's been fun. I've been learning a lot. Uh, I feel like I want to say something to any singles in here. Um, I'm, on, I'm on First Peter 3, 7, if you want to turn there. Um, the, our, uh, the last message I preached was on First Peter 3, 1 through 6, and it was wives submit to your husband, and, and that word submit is a pretty triggering word these days, uh, not only in the church, but of course in our society, the word submit. And so anyway, that was, uh, but it was, it, was, it was exciting just to be able to go through it and to hear from God and what he has, uh, what, 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 he, what does he mean by the word submit and what does that look like in the context of marriage? But more importantly, he says it specifically, I'm really talking about Christ in the church, right? It, it, like, like if, we don't, if we miss that, we've missed the, the whole passage. And so um, uh, today I get to uh, talk about a verse, uh, uh, another uh, kind of a scary verse in, in a way, but uh, in, in 1 Peter uh, 3, 7, um, that's um, talking to husbands. And it even uh, uses a phrase of, 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 of um, honoring her as the, the weaker vessel. And so we're going to kind of dig into that and see what that looks like. Oh, I was saying about singles. Man, after reading this, I'm thinking to myself, singles, women, you want a man that believes that Jesus is Lord. I'm reading this and I'm like, wow. You want a man that is convinced that the Bible, the Holy Bible, is the word of God. And that he believes that it is authoritative for his personal life. And, and I say that for, for, I think, many different ways and reasons. But when we think about our relationship with God himself, we, we think about a God that knows us. Don't know about us. He didn't create us and just set us loose, but he knows us intimately. He knows the details of who we are. And I'm thinking, I want my daughter to marry a man that desires to know her, not just be in an agreement with her to stay married, but to want to know her. And, and, and that is one of the things that this, this scripture, this one verse that we'll be talking about today, presses in to the husbands. And so... I would hope that for, for singles here, single women here, that it would be exciting or, or a single man to be thinking, oh, wow, my responsibility. What an exciting responsibility. And so just to kind of pull back just, or, or just go back just a little bit, just to give the context of, of this book, First Peter, we're dealing with a book where Peter is trying to encourage Christians that are suffering, uh, all kinds of sufferings, not just, uh, you know, 
you know, like physical uh, persecutions, but uh, sufferings are persecutions where the government are, is putting laws and restrictions in order, kind of points directly to the Christians, like things like emperor worship, knowing that Christians are monolithic and that they, they are only worshiping one God. And so these, these rules and these, these things that they're putting in place are specifically to put the light, shed light on the rebellious, what they call rebellious nature of, of the Christian. And actually, all they're doing is, is trying to follow in obedience to God. And so their persecution may look like a family member. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, they were once worshiping idols or, or these deities. Um, and then uh, one day, you know, the, uh, they, they come to, to know Christ and, and suddenly they're not worshiping with their family anymore. And what did the, their family do? ostracize them. They push them away. And so that's the type of suffering or a type of persecution that he's trying to speak into uh, during this time. And, but but what, is, what, what is his encouragement? His encouragement is not, hey, it's about to get better. Just hang in there. That's not his encouragement. His encouragement is not that, hey, I'm on my way and I'm going to fix everything. No. His his encouragement is that this is just what Jesus went through. His encouragement is, hey, do you remember that one that I told you about? The one that suffered and died? This is what you were called to. That's his encouragement. So when we suffer, sometimes what we really want is to know that we're not alone, right? Sometimes when we're going through stuff, <clears throat> sometimes we just need to know that I am going in the right direction, no matter how much it hurts, right? We just want to know, am I, am I at least going in the right direction, God? And, and that's Peter's encouragement. Peter's encouragement is keep going. Amen. Keep going. Keep suffering because this is what you were called to. This is what you were called to. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So not only is it his encouragement in saying, hey, Jesus did it. He's saying that this suffering, in 1 Peter 1, he tells that this suffering actually promotes our faith. It purifies our faith. It, it, it creates a joy and, a, and, a, and a, a, um, a dependence on him that would actually fulfill our hearts. He's saying this suffering is actually what you need to know him better. Man, I don't, I don't pray for suffering. I don't pray for um, persecution. But I do realize that the Bible is clear that as we press closer to Jesus, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. Man, part of counseling is knowing that what you're doing, you're not alone. 
He's also telling them that there's, there's Christians around the world who are suffering just like you. Sometimes it's like we're, we're going through something and we think we're the only ones going through it, right? He said, nope. Let me tell you about my chains. Let me tell you about what I've done. Not to boast, but to say, hey, you're, this is not weird what you're going through. And God sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. So Peter's, his encouragement is not, hey, you're about to come out of it. No, I want you to stay in it. And lastly, he's, he, he, his, his, throughout chapter 2 and, and going into verse 3, he's saying, actually, I want you to stay in it and to shine my light. Because first, uh, first, uh, first Peter 3, 1 through 6, or actually before that, we looked at, we looked at slaves and masters. And what we realized that slaves and master was a relationship between what? Employee and employer. That's what really what we were looking at. And, and we, we talked about how, how different this, you know, American slavery and, and this biblical slavery was so different. And so he's saying that in the midst of cruel bosses, he's saying what? That, that triggering word again, submit. Honor them. Not only submit, honor them. Be, be the model worker in the midst of a cruel boss. And then next one was, how about an unbelieving husband? 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. How about, a, how about an unbelieving husband? What do you do there? Submit to him. Honor him. Respect him. He says, don't do it because he deserves it. He said, because you have entrusted yourself to God. That word is, is, is used over and over and over, entrust. Actually, um, Jesus says that in his, one of his last words on the cross. He said, I commit myself, or I entrust myself to thee. And he gave up his ghost. You remember that? Peter is saying, he's using that same word. He's like, don't, in, don't, don't trust that, that your husband's going to get better. Don't, that's not where I want you to put your faith. I want you to entrust yourself to me. He says that about the government. He says, you know, uh, submit yourself and honor the authority, whether it be the emperor or, or local authorities. He says... Uh, in marriage, I just said that. I, I just talked about that. Oh, employee, and then marriage. In the same way wives submit, he says. And then now we get to verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. If you're not already turned there, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to pray. Dear God, we thank you. As we go into this challenging verse, um, I'm committed to hearing from you. I'm committed to hearing what you would have for us in this verse. For, for me as a husband and for those amongst us who are husbands or are desiring to be a husband, I pray that we would hear it. 
I pray that we would feel it and that we would respond to it, to what we learn from you, God. So by your spirit, would you teach us? Would you uh, proclaim your gospel truth through this passage, this one passage? Would you let us know what it means to know you? In Jesus' name, amen. It says, husbands, in the same way. Lee, can you hit that air? I'm not sure. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. In the same way. In the same way, this is, this is tricky. In the same way, meaning as wives submitted to their husbands should Husbands submit to their wives? Well, according to Ephesians 5, 21, there is a mutual submission. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, it says. 5:21 says. This is why I'm convinced that this particular passage emphasized not the person, the husband, but more of the role. More of the role. Submit to that role, to the responsibility as a leader of your home. Likewise, likewise they, they honored the employee or likewise you, you submitted to government. Likewise, husbands, husbands should, should also submit to that authority, that role that he, he's been given. Submission should not be triggering at all. And for Peter and Paul's audience, this was a good and helpful for them. In not just marriage, but in society in general. Can you imagine not having submission in your home from your kids? Not having any type of submission on a two-lane highway? How about any type of submission on a basketball game? Any type of submission to any kind of rules and authority and roles, everybody, all you see is what? Chaos. So this word of submission is really calling us to our role as a leader, as husbands. Ephesians 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So how does a man submit if a woman is submissive also? The man is told in Ephesians to play his role as the head leading her by speaking truth to her from the word of God, being devoted to prayer and the word so he can share and wash her with the word of God. Ephesians 5.26, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. This is the man submitting to that role. He is submitting to his role as the husband, playing his part in showing the glory of God. Husbands, in the same way, it says. The, the reason there is, a, that there is an emphasis on roles is because we start, to, we start to think that our role is our value, and that's not how the Bible describes our role. He's not saying that, that the, 
man is more important. He's making sure we understand our role. Value isn't tied up in our role. It's tied up in who God created us to be. It's tied up in the reality that he sent Jesus to die in our place. So let it not be a triggering word to, to submit. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. I'm going to come back to understanding way. I'm going to go to as with a weaker partner, as a weaker partner, weaker vessel. It's simply explaining the biological part of the woman, the physical strength of the woman. Uh, this is not talking about a ment the mental ability of a woman. Uh, I, I know this be, may be subjective, but for me, my wife, Linda, is a, much smarter than me, I would say. Uh, most of my teachers growing up were women, and they were extremely knowledgeable. They didn't lack any knowledge that a man could have. This is not talking about spirituality either. This is not a weaker, as in a, the, the woman is much weaker. This is talking about our physical strength. We see this on the baseball field. We see this on the softball field. We see this on the basketball court. We see this when they do track and field. You ever seen the mixed relays? You've seen. It's so he's really pointing that this weaker vessel he's talking about her physical strength. So what does this do for, for us? I mean, how do we respond? I'll get to that. This, this puts more of the responsibility on us as men to be gentle to women. Never raising our voices, never physically threatening them, but always being tender with them as the physically weaker person. This is not a one-to-one -one situation. There are probably a few women that are stronger than me in this situation. We're talking about broadly the women's physical strength he's talking about. There have been times, well, let me just say this first. When we, when we, when we think about what the husband role is because of the weaker vessel, it's, it's the protector, right? If we are, we're weak, it says weaker, so we're weak, but we are less weak strength-wise than the woman. So we are put in position as what? The provider, the protector. And so this puts us in a situation when we're in bed, we hear a noise in the front room. I send Linda. No, 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 that's not what I do. That's not what I do. That's not what I do. But why is that funny? Because it's funny because of how silly it is for us as men to, to not protect, to not guide, to not lead them. And that's not just physically, but emotionally. Also, to, to be able to stand there for them. This puts us in that position. There have been many times that we will hear a noise, and I've done this, and I'm Pretty sure nobody was in the front room, and I'll push Linda out and lock the door. You're like, everything okay? I'll do that because of how silly 
it is. How silly, not because I believe it, because of how silly it sounds to me as a man. It says, live with your wives. The next part says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understanding, like knowledge. This is it, husbands. This is it, single men. Listen, Ephesians 5, 25 says the most important role he has is to love her. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to submit to this by dying to themselves so that he can know his wife. Husbands must make knowing his wife primary, not secondary. Understanding our wives must, not be, must be more important than our comforts as husbands. Understanding them and knowing them well must be more important than any of our aspirations and dreams in our life. If our dreams are getting in the way of knowing our wives, then our dreams must die. Because we must know them. We must take the time to know them. We must make it an emphasis. We must make it primary in our life. So that doesn't mean go kill your dreams. That's not what I'm saying. That means that make sure your dreams and your, your aspiration, your goals, are not getting in the way of knowing your wife. That's what that means. A husband's role is to know and understand his wife. And so this is, I'm trying to do this more in my sermons, but how? Like, we'd be like, okay, pastor, but how? Guys, I'm not doing great in this, so... I mean, bear with me. How? Know your wives. Ask questions. Ask questions. Me and Linda had a good car ride the other day. We were headed to, uh, to uh, I don't, golly, I don't know the name of your um, show, um, Grant. But anyway, we were headed to go see Grant. And going through this verse, Reading this verse, I'm, I've never done this on a consistent basis, but the entire ride, I gave her, would you rather, would you rather, vacation questions. And it was the most eye-opening thing, one of the most eye-opening things I experienced. I began to know her more in those moments. If you want to know how, ask questions. And then listen to the answer, and then after they answer the question, then ask questions about the answer. That's the how. Now we're beginning to know our wives. Now we're beginning to hear them and listen to them and dig a little deeper. Listen to the answer and ask more questions based off of the answer. If you're not good at this like me, then add structure. I have a friend that that says this. He says, where you lack discipline, add structure. So that's Google Calendar, that's reminders, that's big whiteboards, that's structure. On this day, at this time, we will ask each other questions. At this time, every year, we will go on a vacation. That's structure. It's on the whiteboard, it's on the Google Calendar, it's on the paperback calendar. 
you need the space to know your wife. Where you, where you lack discipline, that's me right here, add structure. Add structure. Plan morning walks with her or nighttime routines where you are only focused on knowing her, so phones off. Don't be the judge of her answers. <laughs> They're going to be messy, right? If you start to ask questions and you begin to know her, believe me, they're messy. They're not theologically accurate. They're not. Be ready for them. And don't be quick to fix the theology in it. Listen to it. Hear it. Know where she's failing, where, where she may be off spiritually. Don't try to fix it. Know her. Know her in those moments. That's what she needs. I'm preaching like I'm doing it, right? Do it, right? Don't be the judge. She has, she has every right to change who she is, too. So not only do we know her today, we got to know who she is tomorrow and next week and in a year from now. So this is an ongoing thing to know her, to understand her, the Bible says. In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, knowing her. The next part says, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Degrading her is not honoring her. That's what it says. It says, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. So when you degrade her, that's not honoring her. When the president walks in, what, are, what do people do? You, you stand. When, when the bride comes from the back and opens the door, what do they do? We, we, we what? Stand. We stand in honor of that moment and of her. You don't have to physically stand every time your wife walks in the room. That's not my point. My point is, is that what do you do to show honor? What do you do to show that you respect her, that you believe in her? What do you say? What is your facial expressions when she walks in the room? What, what, is, what is your body language in those moments? Do you honor her? when you talk about her when she's not around? Do you honor her when she is around? It says, as co-heirs. The point is not standing up. The point is making sure you honor her in some way. We must see our wives as co-heirs of the grace of life. The lack of uh, no spiritual blessing that, uh, I'm sorry. We must treat them as co-heirs of the kingdom. We know now and we experience in the future. So what, what we, what 1 Peter in chapter 1 talks about us being, uh, having an inheritance. Us, us being hopeful for an inheritance of heaven. We know that this, she is our co-heir. She doesn't lack any spiritual ability as the weaker vessel. 
In the same way, husbands, we are to love, they are supposed to love their wives as their own bodies, it says in Ephesians. He who loves his wife loves himself. Co-heirs, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church since we are members of his body. Guys, neglecting our wives is the same as neglecting ourselves. We hate our own flesh when we neglect our wives. When we don't value them and honor them constantly, we're actually neglecting our bodies. So that our prayers, the last part of that verse says, so that our prayers will not be hindered. Let me, let me talk to you about unhindered prayers. This is what they are. Unhindered prayer is the picture that God gave us when he spoke to Adam and Eve in the beginning in the garden. That's unhindered prayer. That's a conversation with God that is not hindered and marred by sin and confusion. That's unhindered prayer. When Adam sinned by protecting by, by not protecting her and leading her, that communication was corrupted and their transparency with each other and God was hindered. That's the word used. Jesus reestablishes that. Listen to this. Jesus reestablishes this when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. When Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, when he gave up the ghost, the temple curtain broke or tore from what? Top to bottom. That represented what? The curtain, the curtain blocked the presence of God. Because they would be killed, they would be stricken in the presence of God. They would just fall over dead, but the curtain protected from the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. When Jesus died, the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, representing now that place in the garden. So when we talk about hindered prayers, because we are walking in disobedience with our wives and how we're treating them and not understanding them and not honoring them and speaking harshly to them and not being tender with them, these are hindering our prayers. This beautiful gift that we've been given because of Jesus' sacrifice has been hindered in this moment. Not because of God's, God running away, but because we are in willing disobedience. We are in disobedience to God. The Holy Spirit in us prays what we need as we surrender to God in prayer. Prayer is a direct line to God, and we do not want that hindered because we find ourselves not knowing our wives, not honoring them, not loving them well by giving up, by dying to self. Verse 12 uh, of 1 Peter says, because the eyes of the Lord this is 1 Peter 3.12. Because of the eyes of the Lord on the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayer, uh, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. He just called 
a man, a husband, not in living in his role to protect and love his wife, call that man evil. He, he says what they're doing is evil when we're not loving her as we love ourselves and protecting her. Your prayers are hindered because y'all are, y'all are one. But because of your disobedience to God's word, you are neglecting her and living as an evil man. Pastor Tony Evans, I, I, I reach in to look for words. He says, Pastor Evans says, a husband who refused to align himself under God's agenda and value and appreciates her and, utilize, and not utilize the contributions of his wife cannot expect God to answer his prayers. If, if a, another commentator says, if a man is not considerate and respectful of his wife, his prayers will be hindered because of a living relationship with God depends on the right relationship with others. Mm. A right relationship with others, especially your wife. Husbands, honor the covenant you made to your wife by dying to yourself and living to know and understand her well. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your instruction, your instruction is, is clear, for husbands to not neglect, but to understand their wives, and to be careful, to be tender to be respectful, to, to share in her pains, to know her well, God. The text is clear. It wasn't our main text, but Ephesians, to die. To die as, as, as Christ gave himself up for the church. We, as husbands, are to give ourselves for our wives, and I pray that that would be something that we would be joyful to pursue. Why? Because you are good in your commands. You are good in your roles. You are good in the way you have ordered all of life. You're good in those. And so God, we submit to the authority of your text as husbands. And then as wives, we, 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 we do that also, God. We, we submit to our role, to, the, the, to what you have put on us. And so, God, I'm praying that here at Pillar Church, that husbands and wives would live in dependence on you, and that is independence of what you have told us in your word clearly. God, we thank you and love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.